That might be a taste, I guess, of what it uh, might have been like as the Apostle Paul dictated the words of this letter in Ephesians uh, around A.D. 60, so a couple of years ago. Uh, but uh, Paul, maybe you knew this, maybe you didn't, but Paul was, uh, he didn't write down all his letters. Uh, he would have a scribe that would do that. There are several uh, of the letters in the New Testament where it says, I write this with my own hand. It was almost like his signature at the end, but he did not write the whole letter. You get the impression that, that he couldn't write. Some folks say that his, uh, his eyes were bad and there's some evidence there. So that, that's free. That's not even the notes, just so you know that. But uh, so Paul is dictating this and he's speaking this and someone's writing it down and he's talking about this armor of God. Uh, he, he would have been, he was imprisoned in Rome as we saw there. I don't know if that's exactly how it was, but probably had a 24-7 guard, uh, whether they were chained to him. Some folks think that maybe he was, he was chained to a guard. A- at least this, he was guarded, uh, around the clock, uh, as he's in Rome awaiting trial. And while he was doing, that's when he wrote the book of Ephesians, this letter to this church in Ephesus. And so Paul would have been very familiar with the armor, the uniform that the Roman soldiers wore, because he saw it all the time. It was right in front of him. And so he used that as a metaphor at the end of this letter to describe some truths about the spirit of the Christian life, how to follow Christ, and how to be equipped so that we can live out our lives uh, effectively for Christ. It's it found this passage is in Ephesians chapter six verses ten to twenty. Uh, we we heard most of it there. We won't read it again, but I'd encourage you to uh, to uh, pull it out on your Bibles or on your your device. Uh, you've got the U version app there. You could pull up. There's the U version live deal that uh, that you can pull up and take notes right on your phone and whatever else. So I'd encourage you to do that. If it's going to take you a while to figure that out, then don't you know pay attention here. Don't just you know, spend the next twenty minutes figuring that out like I would need to. But um, uh, make sure that. that, that those are those things are there for you. The first part of this that, the passage in, in Ephesians chapter six, uh, beginning in verse ten, it describes a spiritual battle that we're in. Why would we need armor? Well, there's a spiritual battle that we're a part of. We're facing enemies, and not just enemies in this world, but we're facing uh, the devil. We're facing the quote spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Scripture says. It's kind of scary stuff to think about, uh, and, and yet we need to know that God is on our side, and he fights for us, and he also equips us with armor in order to hold off the attacks of the enemy and to stand our ground. That's the whole point of this passage, is that we're equipped with things so that when it's all over and we face uh, our, our enemy, that uh, when it's all at the end of time and, and we're jumping into eternity, we have stood the test, and we're standing our ground. Some might say in the face of that, reading through that or hearing that, uh, you might say, well, I don't really have a whole lot of trouble with the devil. I mean, it's, it's really, I don't know that I'm, I'm in that battle. Um, if, you, if you would think that, I don't know, I'd, I'd be a little more scared of, of that. Uh, there's a story about a, a, a church service where, uh, where Satan came in the back door during church. And the, the congregation turned around and saw him and scattered, right? And they're hiding in different corners and under the seats and all those kinds of things, except for one guy right back there. Joe, I'm not singling you out or anything, but I'm just saying he was sitting right about where you are. But I'm not saying anything, but it's just, that's, all right. He just sat there and everything was good. And everybody's scattering and the devil's, you know, scaring people and coming around and, and he sees, he sees a guy sitting back here. Again, not Joe, so somebody else, but right about there, and he comes up and says, aren't you afraid of me? And he says, no, yeah, I'm really not afraid of you, Satan. 
I mean, I've been secretly on your side for the past 40 years, he says. Again, not Joe, not Joe at all, okay? But whether you've been secretly on the devil's side or not, if you're not encountering trouble with the devil, if you're not meeting him head on from time to time, it could be because you're going in the same direction that he is. Truly following Jesus means heading in the opposite direction of the devil and you will encounter opposition and and it will be a problem. And as this passage describes though, uh, we can stand our ground. Uh, It's it's nothing that, that you and God can't handle together. So, so there is this battle. If we're living for Jesus, we're heading in the opposite direction of the devil. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be temptation. There's going to be uh, these things that will dr- try to drag us away. But we can stand our ground and stand firm in our faith with God on our side. And so there are six items of armor mentioned. And today we're on number five. If you uh, didn't catch the first four, then uh, those are online and you can, you can listen to those and that's great. But today number five is the helmet. I didn't bring a prop, I'm not going to preach in a helmet, sorry, but uh, it's the helmet of salvation. Now up to this point, uh, Paul has challenged us to put on the items of armor. He says, put on the whole armor of God, and then he talks about the belt and the the uh, the, the shoes and the breastplate of, of righteousness, and, and he even says, take up or or put on or, or grab the uh, the shield, but here... When he talks about the the helmet of salvation, he says, take the helmet of salvation. That's just semantics. What's the big deal? Actually, that that word, uh, the the original word can be not just take, receive, which gives it a little bit of a different nuance there, doesn't it? Because... a soldier, picture a soldier who has, uh, who has most of this armor on. They've got the, the breastplate and the belt and the shoes and the, 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 uh, the shield. Try to reach your helmet now, right? They would usually have some type of uh, armor bearer of sorts or, or someone that was helping them get dressed and they would hand them the helmet. So that was next and they would receive this helmet it was common to do that, and as a soldier, Paul would have known that. He saw it every day. He, he knew. And so it's, it's, uh, it's not a coincidence that the helmet is what is used to illustrate salvation, the helmet of salvation. This, it's not, it's, it's, it's a, the part of the armor, a part of the armor that is given to us. We don't, uh, we don't put it on ourselves. We receive it. Salvation is a gift. In, in emphasizing that, just, uh, just saying, take the helmet of salvation, Paul's uh, referring back to earlier in his, this letter here in Ephesians in chapter 2, where he described the amazing experience of salvation that we can all experience. Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 5 says this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at, at, that, at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. The helmet is a gift. It's given to us. Uh, it's, it's not necessarily common or, or even, uh, I don't know, we, we don't think a whole lot about be, the need to be saved. 
Why do I need to be saved? So I, I, but, but yet, a lot of the, the I, I guess I just go back to, or look at, a lot of the movies that have come out lately, all these, uh, these superhero movies, that's exactly the story of that superhero movie, right? Whether, it's, uh, whether you're a Superman person or a, a Batman person or a, uh, whoever else, right? I always like the Wonder Twins myself. Activate. Form of an eagle. I haven't seen the Wonder Twins movie yet, but that was Justice League. Any? Okay, never mind. I got to stick to the notes. We got to keep going here. Um, the need to be saved. That's exactly what these movies are all about. So you've got, you've got a problem. You've got some evil villain that's coming after the common people and, and they don't have a way to get there. They're being obliterated and things are a problem. And then we've got this, this superhero, this savior that swoops in and saves the day. It's not a, it's not a new concept. The, 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 the writers of Superman didn't come up with this on their own. This is the story of God on the pages of scripture. We, we tend not to be, want to be identified with those commoners though, right? We don't, we don't want to just be the common people. We, 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 we like to think that we've got it all figured out. We don't need to be saved. We, we've got it all together. We're self-sufficient and, and there isn't really, I mean, People talk about there isn't really this evil villain lurking in the shadows waiting to take us out, is there? I, although this passage says that, that there's this battle going on in heavenly realms. First Peter 5.8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Genesis 4.7 says, If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Our enemy, the devil, is looking for ways to take us down all the time. Sin is lying in wait for us, that we're in a spiritual battle, but, but, but we get distracted by the things that, that we can see, the things of life. We don't like to think about all of that. We, we have things under control, and we're not that bad. And I mean, if I struggle, with, it's really not that big a deal, right? And so it's, so it's almost a foreign concept these days to think about the need to be saved. Maybe it goes back to, I, I really like to feel guilty. I like to feel like I have things under control. And so, so uh, I, I, we, we don't necessarily emphasize this whole issue of guilt. Um, we tend to be pretty good at justifying sinful behavior. We, we, we don't really have a, a great concept of, of the consequences of sin because a lot of times those consequences come later and we don't experience them right away and so we're not necessarily thinking about the consequences of sin. But, but whether, whether our culture acknowledges all this or not, the standards of Scripture remain clear. Uh, we just read it in Ephesians chapter 2, sin brings death, spiritual death. And when we sin... It may feel good for a while, we're gratifying every craving and desire, but, but we're following the ways of the world, we're following the devil, we're following the, what Ephesians says, calls the ruler of the kingdom of the air, right? And so living like that, as we read in Ephesians 2, we all have lived like that. Living like that results in alienation from God and eternal damnation in hell. Scripture is very clear, not only here in Ephesians, but also throughout Scripture, that living like that does not end well, and there is nothing we can do about it aside from the grace of God. We need to be saved. You've heard the phrase, there but for the grace of God go I. 
probably heard that before. You look at someone who's, who's doing something, and rather than judging them, you say, oh, man, I, I could certainly, that could have been me, if, but for the grace of God. It's completely true. Without God's love and grace extending to us the helmet of salvation, we would be dead in our transgressions and sins, Ephesians 2.1. We have to live moment by moment with that clear understanding that it is by grace that we have been saved. It's the helmet that we wear, the helmet of salvation. You know, it's, it's uh, important if you think about a, a Roman soldier, uh, they could be seen, they could be identified a long way off. Uh, opposing armies uh, could see them primarily. The first thing that they would see is the glint of the sun off that shiny helmet. The helmet was the, the, the first thing that identified a Roman soldier uh, whose side they were on and, uh, and, and who they were fighting for. It let everyone know their identity. And that's true for us as well. If we've uh, received the helmet of salvation, if we've allowed God's grace to pour into our lives and to uh, forgive our sins, and, uh, and, and we've, we've put on, so to speak, the helmet of salvation, we're identified as, as, as God's, in, in God's army, in God's family. It's what identifies us, sets us apart. And so, maybe at some point in your life, maybe today, you've felt the weight and guilt of sin. Maybe you, you, you haven't really known what that all means or you're not really sure and, and it, things are a little confusing, but maybe you've come to the place, maybe today, maybe at some point in your life, you've come to the place where you know you can't keep living like that. And so you need to know today that no matter what, God extends his grace and love to you, even in the middle of whatever your stuff is, right? God invites you to receive the helmet of salvation, to be identified as his. It it means if, if we're receiving the helmet of salvation, we're saying, yes, I'm a sinner. We're calling sin what it is. We're calling sin, sin. We recognize that we're separated from God. We confess that sin. We ask for forgiveness. And then we allow God's healing to take over in our lives. And, and it's grace and it's salvation and it's a gift from God. So one question I guess we need to ask all the way along in all of these pieces of armor but I think it's especially significant today. Are you wearing the helmet of salvation? It's being held out. God is extending it to each one of us. Have you taken his grace? That's an important concept, and we're going to come back around to that in just a little bit. It's important to recognize that the helmet is a gift. It's also important to recognize that the helmet guards your head. Duh. Pastor Pete, you really studied this week. Wow, that's good. Helmet guards your head. Oh. It's important that Paul didn't say this was the breastplate of salvation or the belt of salvation, or the shoes of salvation, or even the sword of salvation. It's important, there's a significance there. As Paul is, is looking at this, this soldier, these soldiers that are in front of him all the time, and he's thinking about how that relates to our spiritual lives, and he says, helmet, we've got to talk about that helmet. What, 
It's salvation, the helmet. of It's, it's significant to note that he linked up salvation with the helmet, uh, recognizing that it guards your, your head. Your head holds your brain. Again, rocket science, right? Got it. Got it covered. It's, it's our mind. It's the place where we think. It's, it's, it's where ideas are far, formed. It's where we make decisions. It's where we form habits and, and so much more. And it all happens in this, in this cranium that we've got, right? If, if we allow the devil access to our minds, it's all over. If we've accepted God's gift of salvation, however, the devil is not controlling our decisions. God is. Again, this, this isn't science class, and I'm not a brain surgeon, but, uh, but uh, just, just to hit the highlights, I guess, scientists are figuring out more and more all the time about how the brain works. And the human brain is, is made up of million, or billions of, of neurons, and, and it monitors and regulates all of the functions of our bodies, right? And, and our actions and our reactions and our habits and our movements and our feelings and our thoughts, all of that is, is happening all the time. And, and they say there are trillions of, of chemical operations occurring every second. Even right now, your, your brain is busy at work, whether it appears like it on the outside or not from this perspective. But no, I'm just kidding. There are trillions of chemical operations happening and, and signals are being transferred literally at, at uh, over 250 miles an hour. Uh, our brain is, is rapidly analyzing and responding to all the stimuli that it experiences all the time through our senses, our sight, and our, our, uh, the, through, through sound and through smells and t- taste and touch. And... Now they say that, that for every behavior that we experience, our brain creates a neurological pathway. Again, I'm speaking, I'm just regurgitating to you what I've, what I've seen and read. Uh, but uh, they, they say that as behaviors are repeated, those pathways become increasingly more stable. And so a good way to think about it is, is that a single behavior maps out a dirt road, so to speak, in your brain and, and a, a place to travel. And then as you repeat those behaviors, your brain maybe paves the road and widens the road and ultimately a, a highway is built, so to speak, in our, in our minds, allowing for increased volume and frequency of thoughts and, and, and to, to move along that, that road, that highway, and it results in our day-to-day actions. And so it can become very difficult then to change behaviors and ideas and thoughts that have become highways in our head over time. Things have become ingrained, so to speak. So that happens with simple habits like maybe how you hold your pen or how you tie your shoes. And it's something we don't even think about anymore because that that highway has been developed and it's, it's just what we do. It also happens in our spiritual lives and with things of of morality, and we have to have our brains reprogrammed, so to speak. We have to allow God to deconstruct those highways that lead to sin and instead build highways that lead to righteousness, and that happens when we put on the helmet of salvation. If you live anywhere close to Medina, you have no doubt done battle lately with North Court Street. Anybody? Yeah. They are widening the road, and it's going to be able to handle more volume of traffic, and, and uh, all, those, all those stores and restaurants and all that will enjoy the benefit of that. When they're done, I believe that's in 2027, that when it will be... Just kidding. Sorry, Mr. Mayor, if you're listening. i just joking. But it's going to be great when it's done, but it's, it's taking a long time. 
And, and uh, they have had to move, they, they moved the wires and the poles back on the sides and they've had to uh, relocate and enlarge the storm sewers and they've had to tear up the sides of the road and push all that back and pave and then repave. And, and uh, every time I head up there, which I have to admit is less and less frequently, um, uh, every time I go up there, they've changed the route. So I'm thinking that I'm going to go this way and now I have to get in this lane and, and then they've closed this road and then you can't turn left here and it's just, oh, it's just a nightmare, Right. It takes a lot to change the route and to, uh, to tear it up and, and make it better. It's going to be better, but it, it takes a lot to do that. And that's a bit of a picture of the effort that it takes for our minds to change those destructive, sinful habits and patterns and to allow God to establish His holy habits and patterns in our lives. So in using that metaphor as a hell, I, for, not for a second am I saying that Paul had all of that in his mind when he's writing this uh, in, in the, uh, the jail cell in Rome. Uh, he, he wasn't a, uh, a neurosurgeon and he didn't ha- have all that in place, but he was inspired to say that, and he knew that the, the, the ba- battle, we're fighting the spiritual war, the spiritual battle, uh, one of the main fronts where we fight this is in our minds. And he knew that. He used some of that same imagery in other places in 2 Corinthians 10, uh, which I think we referred to a couple of weeks ago. He says this, beginning in verse 3. Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ and we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. So again, Paul is using this battle imagery which he uses uh, from time to time in his letters and he's referring to weapons and, and fighting and even uses that term strongholds. The word is used in scripture uh, over 50 times. But from my study, it appears that uh, this is the only time in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's used a lot to describe actual physical fortresses or strongholds that, that, uh, that either the, uh, the Israelites had or, or their enemies had. Uh, many times it refers to God as being our stronghold for his people. Here, it's describing strongholds of the enemy, and it's describing something that is supposed to be demolished. If you look at that... Looks like it's going to be pretty hard to demolish that. I mean, there, there, I guess this would refer to those areas of our lives where we've allowed the devil over time, sin over time, to set up a fortress. It doesn't start out that way. It, it starts with lingering, lingering a too, long, too long over there or just barely stepping over the line here. And, and we do that again and again, and pretty soon the devil gets what's referred to uh, in another verse in, in Ephesians as a foothold in our lives. Just a, just a little foothold, but just, he's still hanging on, and we don't do anything about that. And we can't quite shake him, and we keep coming back to those habits or thoughts, and it becomes more ingrained, and a highway begins to develop, and pretty soon it's an imposing fortress. And it doesn't look like there's any way to overcome it. Those strongholds could, could look like addictions. A draw to a substance or, or a habit that's, that, that seems overwhelming and, and, and I can't shake it. A addiction to drugs or alcohol or gambling or sex or pornography. Uh, those things are, are the devil's strongholds in our lives. And 
It could be, could be a, not, not just a, an addiction, it could be a negative way of thinking. And we always kind of go back to looking at things from a negative perspective, maybe self-demeaning thoughts or, or, or negative views of life or, or suicidal thoughts. Maybe it's certain fixations or, or fears or, or phobias that we have and they can hold us captive and a stronghold could be emotional. Anxiety and depression can be strongholds in our life. Bitterness and anger can become so ingrained that it's just how we react and how we respond and it's just, it's, it's not how God would intend us to live. I'm not talking about just passing thoughts or, or uh, little temptations that we can kind of push off, but it's, it's this controlling, uh, captivating these, these things that, that captivate us, these uh, ideas and imaginations, they don't come from God. As the passage says, they exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. These things are more true than God. And, and we operate under this. The stronghold is controlling us rather than operating under the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's possible that a person can so listen to the lies of Satan that we're held captive to those things. Maybe, uh, maybe you're, you're, you're caught in one or more of those strongholds, those sinful patterns of behavior and addiction or, or a negative pattern of thinking and, and you don't know how to get out. But, but as we read this passage, it's, it's not, oh man, that's awful and everything's awful. Paul is writing from a place of victory in this. He says that there is hope. He says that it is possible not only to pick away at the, the walls of those strongholds in our lives and make a little progress. He says that God's power demolishes strongholds strongholds, demolishes them. We treat them as if we can't overcome them. God says, flick, and they're gone. (laughs) We use God's weapons. We use his armor. The weapons we fight, it's up there. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We don't live like that a lot of the time. We live defeated, (laughs) overcome, I believe in, in Christian uh, therapy and counseling. My, my wife is a Christian counselor and a very good one. Not that I've gone to her to know that because we should probably be a conflict of interest. Probably. I believe in, in Christian counsel. I, I believe in, in therapeutic programs, especially if they're, they're, they're Christ-centered to, to help people deal with addictions. I, I, believe that, I even believe that there are, there are medications that can be very helpful in certain situations to deal with, with issues in our minds. But all of those things have to come back to Jesus and his power to save us. If the devil has established a stronghold in your life, in your mind, you will not fully demolish it by using mental strategies and techniques. You will, you will not do away with it by learning more or, or reading the, the next good self-help book or watching Dr. Phil marathons. Positive thinking does not tear down and demolish strongholds. Only Jesus does that. Coming to God in the midst of our brokenness and helplessness allows him to do his work in us as he takes every thought captive. He reprograms our minds. He he tears out those highways leading to the, the sinful places and he reprograms us and builds those highways to holiness. I believe that takes place as we receive his salvation and as we dwell on that and grow closer to him day by day. We immerse ourselves in the, in the truths of God's word. 
And we allow those truths to settle in and we spend time with God and, and, and we spend time with God's people and, and we grow over time and we create new habits and we develop new holy strongholds. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is uh, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly Things. Romans 12, 2 also refers to uh, our minds as it says that we shouldn't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And then in Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9, it tells us that we need to consciously and actively seek out things that are positive and holy. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, not a lie, whatever is noble, not ignoble, whatever is right, not wrong, whatever is pure, not defiled, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, those are the things we need to be thinking about, dwelling on, filling our lives with, filling our minds with, not whatever's on Netflix this weekend. (laughs) That doesn't match up to that. In time, as we dwell on those, not dwelling on those negative thoughts, not dwelling on those, those strongholds, but as we fill our minds with those things, God develops his highways of holiness that will defend against any sinful road that the devil would want to put in its place. God can form an entirely new neurological roadmap leading you to the life you were meant to live. It's possible. There's hope, and the hope is in Jesus Christ. The hope is in the helmet of salvation. It's a gift from God. It identifies us as his children, and it tears down those sinful habits and behaviors and rebuilds our lives under his authority. And it makes us unbeatable. You can stand even in the face of evil adversity because the helmet renders the devil powerless. Romans 8, verses 37 to 39, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, Again, this, this warrior battle imagery, more than conquerors. Now, I'm thinking being a conqueror would be pretty cool. I mean, conqueror, right? He could have said, you're going to conquer. And I would have said, yes, and that'll preach. That means you're on the winning side, and you win, and the other people are defeated, and so you're a conqueror. He went above and beyond here, and he said, more than You're going to be not just a conqueror, you're going to be more than a conqueror. Well, what does that mean? In my mind, again, a little weird, but I go back to the 10-run rule when I was playing t-ball when I was 11 years old, 9 years old. I don't know how old I was. Not, I was old enough to be on the team where the 10-run rule was, was put in place against us multiple times. Maybe you don't know what the 10-run rule is. Basically, uh, it's, it's uh, what, the, what the umpire would institute when one team was so far ahead, 10 runs or more, that, uh, that, that he, the umpire figured, you know what, it, it ain't even worth finishing this game. I know it's only the third inning, but come on, guys, I got better things to do, right? And, and so they, 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 they were, there was absolutely no chance of victory, and so the umpire figured that it wasn't worth his time or the parents' time to stick around and finish the game, and say, oh, nope, that's it, no hope. That team wins. 
They are more than conquerors. They didn't just win. They, I mean, they are more than one. I mean, this was didn't even take the whole... Maybe that's a little bit of a picture of being more than... Accepting God's love and living for him is like putting on a helmet that protects us from ever being separated from God's love and forgiveness. That's what it says. Nothing can separate you from God's love. And as he works his salvation and his love into our lives, we can and we will overcome anything and everything that comes against us. When the day of evil comes, we can stand. We are more than conquerors. There have been disagreements in theological circles for, for years and years and years and years about whether you can lose your helmet, the helmet of salvation, whether you can lose your salvation, right? Uh, some say that once you've uh, prayed the prayer and, and you meant it, then, uh, then you're in forever. You're in the army no matter what. And no matter what you do, no matter what you choose, you're still in. The helmet, I guess, comes with, with, uh, with uh, super glue and it's stuck there. You're there. You're in. It's known as, in theological circles, it's known as eternal security. The other side, or the other, the other uh, uh, extreme, I guess, would be that, uh, that, that people that don't believe in eternal security, they've moved so far to the other side that, that it almost makes our salvation unreliable. That at any turn, we could do a little trip, and all of a sudden, the helmet pops off, and we've got to jump through the hoops to get it back on again. Those are maybe the two extremes. Passages like Romans 8, 37 to 39, lead me to believe in eternal security from God's perspective, certainly. God loves you so much, and he sent his son Jesus to pay the penalty for your sin. And you are invited into a relationship with him for all eternity. He says, here's the helmet, put it on. When you put it on, you're one of mine. You're on my team. You're, you're, you're in my army. You're in my family. You are one of mine. And nothing can separate you from that. My mind won't change about you for eternity. God will not go back on his word. There is security in that. I also believe that it's possible for you to take that helmet off and throw it back. And so there's a, there's a middle ground there. It's possible for you to choose, instead of going to battle with all the protection that God would have, including being a part of his family, that, that we take that helmet off and we walk into battle against the devil, uh, leading us to succumb to sin and temptation. That's our choice, to give the helmet back. But God will always love you. There's security in that. The helmet is a gift. It guards your head, your mind, all those neuropathways and all that stuff. It can tear down strongholds. And there's security in that. So the question we have to come to is whether you're wearing the helmet or not. Is the helmet of salvation firmly in place in your life? Is it clear to those around you whose side you're on? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to build his highways of holiness in your mind? How you think, how you, how you act, what you do, what you say. Have you accepted God's gift of grace, his salvation freely offered? That's, that's the essence of, of, what we do and why we do it, why we're here. God loves you. And he doesn't want you to give in to sin. He doesn't want you to put up with, with evil strongholds in your life. He wants to extend his grace and his love and his forgiveness. Will you pray with me? Father God, 
What a, what a gift it is to be in your army, to, to have your armor to protect us against the things that would pull us down. Lord, I pray. I pray that in, in the quiet of these moments that we can sense your spirit and that we wouldn't push you out of the way or, or nudge you away or say, I can deal with this later. But Lord, I pray that you would give us the urgency that we need to accept your gift of grace, to do what we need to do, to confess, to repent, to put that helmet on straight and tall, to be recognized as a child. Give us the courage to do what you desire us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.